Ooh, that was creepy. Hi, campers. Welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison. Thank you for joining us for Immature History. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Um, Though we be immature, we are thankful. And spooky. Shakespeare. Okay. (laughs) He didn't say the and spooky part. No, he does not. Um, Um, Who's first? I think I am. And I want to say... Mine isn't really that spooky, but it is, uh, it's more funny than spooky, yeah. but it is about a curse. <laughs> I love a curse. And this is the Wikipedia article entitled curse of the Colonel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the curse of the Colonel refers to a 1985 Japanese urban legend <laughs> regarding a reputed curse placed on the Japanese Kansai-based Hanshin Tigers baseball team by the ghost of deceased KFC founder and mascot Colonel Sanders. Oh, no. (laughs) The curse was said to be placed on the team because of the Colonel's anger over treatment of one of his storefront statues. Sure. Which was thrown, which was thrown into the Datanbori River by celebrating Hanshin fans before their team's victory in the 1985 Japan champ- Championship Series. A really reasonable reaction. Yeah, <laughs> I would also be mad if someone threw me into a river. Yeah, yeah. As is common with sports-related curses, the curse of the Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> As we all know, is we all canon is. <laughs> um, uh, the curse of the colonel was used to explain the team's subsequent 18-year losing streak. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> Some fans believed the team would never win another Japan series until the statue had been recovered. Sure. Uh, they have appeared in the Japan series three times since then, losing in 2003, 2005, and 2014. Um, so let's get to the, the actual when it happened. So the 1985 Japan series, the Hanshin Tigers are located in Kansai, the second largest metropolitan area in Japan. And I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing these places <laughs> and teams wrong. I will forgive you Thank as you. an expert. they are considered the eternal underdogs of non professional baseball in opposition to the Yomiuri giants of Tokyo who are considered the Kings of Japanese baseball. Mm. I also, I didn't know that there was Japanese baseball. This is a surprise to me. I thought baseball was like, I thought nobody else cared about it. (laughs) I sure don't. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and same. Everyone else was like, we have soccer. We're fine. We're like fine. we don't stop inventing these stupid high contact sports. Right. The devoted fans flock to the stadium no matter how badly the Tigers play in the league. In 1985, much to the nation's surprise, the Hanshin Tigers faced the Cebu Lions and took their first and only victory in the Japan series, largely due to the effort of Star Slugger. 
Randy Bass, an American playing for the team, right? (laughs) Classic (laughs) Randy Bass. (laughs) Classic Randy. The fan base went wild and a riotous celebration gathered at Ibisu Bridge in uh, Dotenburi, Osaka on October 16th, three weeks before the Japan series. There, an assemblage of supporters yelled the players' names, and with every name, (laughs) a fan resembling a member of the victorious team leaped from the bridge into the the waiting canal. However, (laughs) lacking a Caucasian person to imitate MVP Randy Bass, the rabid crowd seized a plastic statue of Colonel Sanders... (laughs) From a nearby KFC and tossed it off the bridge as an effigy. Oh my god! <clears throat> oh man! <laughs> According to the urban legend, this impulsive maneuver cost the team greatly, beginning the curse of the Colonel, which states that the Tigers will not win the championship again until the statue is recovered. Uh, subsequently, numerous attempts have been made to recover the statue, often as part of a variety TV show. <laughs> it's a great bit. It's a great bit. Um, after their success in the 1985 series, the Hanshin Tigers began an 18-year losing streak, placing last or next to last in the league. Brief rallies in 1992 and 1999 brought hope to fans, but they were soon followed with defeat. During this time, attempts were made to recover the statue, including sending divers down and dredging the river, but they all failed. Fans apologized to the store manager, (laughs) but the statue remained in the canal and the tigers cursed. Oh, my God. The colonel was finally discovered in the Dothambori River on March 10th, 2009. Divers who recovered the statue at first thought it was only a large barrel and shortly after a human corpse. But Hanshin fans on the scene were quick to identify it as the upper body of the long lost colonel. Why were there fans there? (laughs) It's a crime scene. Get out. (laughs) And how are there fans left at this point? Yeah. The right, hand, <laughs> the right hand and lower body were found the next day, but the statue is still missing its glasses and left hand. It is said that the only way the curse can be lifted <gasps> is by returning his long lost glasses and left hand. <laughs> um, I just think maybe this is a valuable lesson that um, there's no need for anyone to jump off a bridge. Yeah. And a sports uh, team or any other reason. I just feel like effigies are never really that good of an idea. Yeah, they're not that great. (laughs) Not great. That's Um, the curse of the Colonel. What you got? (laughs) I love, man, I would eat some fried chicken right now. Oh, immediately. (sighs) Um, (laughs) All right. Here's what I have in terms of (laughs) spooky. This one actually did kind of creep me out a little bit. Um, Oh, great. And it is actually, so there is a Wikipedia entry on this, but like, it's not that great. Um, So this is from Medium by Martina Petkova from January 18th, I believe of 2021. There's no year. So I assume it's this year. Um, And this is a story of the Pollock sisters. Okay. Here we go. On a Sunday. Oh, um, 
trigger warning suicide, which I feel like all of my amateur history articles somehow involve that. And I'm very sorry. Yeah. But here we are. On a Sunday morning in May 1957, a woman bewitched by despair after having been forcibly separated from her children decided to commit suicide. She took what she believed to be lethal quantities of aspirin and phenobarbitone and got into her car with the intention of colliding somewhere at full speed. Mm. Residents of the small town of Hexham, Northumberland, (laughs) England, saw her driving erratically through the quiet streets. Her final stop was a wall running along a sidewalk. She rammed right at it, but didn't die. Instead, the collision killed three children who happened to be walking to church in that very moment. (sighs) They were trapped between the car and the wall behind them. The impact, quote, tossed them into the air like cricket balls. Oh, my God. Feels irreverent. Um, Very sad. The woman was taken into custody and eventually sent to a psychiatric facility. The three children, 11-year-old Joanna Pollock, her six-year-old sister Jacqueline Pollock, and their friend, unnamed, died. Okay. The families were bereft, and that was the end. Or was it? Over one year after the tragedy, John and Florence Pollock, the parents of Joanna and Jacqueline, turned a new page in their life. On October 4th, 1958, Florence gave birth to two identical twins. The girls were named Jillian and Jennifer. Oh boy. Immediately, the parents noticed a weird coincidence. Jennifer had two birthmarks. One was a round, dark mark on the left side of her waist, (laughs) identical to a birthmark little Jacqueline had had. The other was a slightly depressed mark on her forehead over the right eye. This one was identical to a scar Jacqueline got when she accidentally fell and hit her head on a bucket. Holy shit. More to come. Oh my God. Okay. When Jillian and Jennifer were three years old, they were presented with the old toys of Joanna and Jacqueline that had been boxed away in the attic for the past years. Nothing could go wrong there. Definitely no. Mm, Nothing haunted for sure. Right, right, right. Uh, The girls didn't fight over them. Jillian claimed Joanna's toys as her own, and Jennifer claimed Jacqueline's. Since Joanna was five years older than Jacqueline, she had taken a more motherly responsible role towards her younger sister. The Pollock parents observed a similar dynamic with the twins. Jillian was acting more mature and responsible than Jennifer. Jennifer accepted Jillian's motherly attitudes, attitude towards her without question. Oh my God. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> Joanna Joanna loved experimenting with costumes and acting in plays she made up. Jillian had the same interests. Joanna also used to say often, I will never be a lady, something her parents later understood as a premonition that she'll never grow up. Um, Joanna and Jacqueline were raised predominantly by their grandmother because John and Florence had been busy with their grocery and milk delivery business. By the time Jillian and Jennifer were born, Florence was free and acting as the primary caregiver. Yet the twins kept turning to their grandmother for love and guidance. Stop. Um, this one is so funny to me, actually. <laughs> kids are so weird. Joanna and Jacqueline liked combing people's hair, especially okay. their fathers. Jillian and Jennifer did too. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But like, have you met a kid? You give them a comb. They're going to try to comb everybody's hair. Oh, Charlie. Anytime my hair is down, Charlie is trying to fix it. Yeah. 
So while the rest of it spooks me, this one doesn't. Not so spooky. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Right before her death, Jacqueline was still learning to write and her teacher had told her parents that something needs to be done about the girl holding p- the pencil upright in her fist. When Jillian and Jennifer started learning to write, Jillian held the pencil correctly right away. Jennifer struggled with it until age seven. Still, even as a young adult, she reverted back to holding the pen upright in her fist very often. Oh, my God. Joanna had a slender build while Jacqueline was more stocky. Jillian's slender build contrasted Jennifer's in the same way, even though they were identical twins. It's getting so crazy. Getting weird. But what did the twins themselves have to say? Sure. Sure. When the twins were nine months old, the family moved away from Hexham. Three or four years, which has the name Hex in it. You're going to get haunted. Does not bode well. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Three or four years later, the Pollocks returned for the first time. Jillian and Jennifer were familiar with the area and wanted to cross the road and go to the park in the swings, clearly knowing their way around. So they already just like knew, even though they sure left at nine months old. When Joanna and it's fine. Um, When Joanna and Jacqueline were still alive, Florence wore a specific smock to help her husband with the milk delivery business. Jacqueline was still little and at home all the time, while Joanna was at school and not present when Florence delivered milk. When the two girls died, Florence stopped helping with the business, and the smock was stored away. When Jillian and Jennifer were almost five, John put on the smock to do some painting. Jennifer saw him and asked, why are you wearing mommy's coat? John asked her, how did she know that this was uh, Florence's coat? Jennifer replied that her mother had worn it while delivering milk. Jennifer also became extremely annoyed with Jillian, who couldn't recognize the smock. What the hell? I know. Um, once Jillian pointed to Jennifer's forehead birthmark and said, that is the mark Jennifer got when she fell on a bucket. She's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the girls were very afraid of cars. They were, which is fair, regardless. They They're were very giant skittish. machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very skittish when it came to crossing streets. And one time when they heard a car engine in an enclosed alleyway, they recoiled in horror, clung to each other and screamed, the car, the car, it's coming for us. So, now that is weird. Cause I will say most of the time with kids. Like yeah. you have to tell them 20 times to look yeah. before crossing the road. Yeah, they're trying to frogger that shit every time. Yeah. They are just really, they do not care about danger. Okay. Nope. Um, one day Florence saw Jillian cradling Jennifer's head saying the blood's coming out of your eyes. That's where the car hit you. Their father reported that when he <laughs> identified the bodies of Joanna and Jacqueline, Jacqueline's head was bandaged above the eyes. Mm. So great. Oh boy. Um, so now the like sec- the heading of this little section is reincarnation or grief. So did mm. Joanna and Jacqueline reincarnate back into their family? Or did Jillian and Jennifer absorb their parents' unimaginable grief? Sure. Skeptics point out that Jillian and Jennifer would have inadvertently learned a lot about their deceased sisters. After all, they were born only a little over a year after the tragedy. Mm. Joanna and Jacqueline, as well as the grief over their loss, were still a towering presence in the Pollock household. 
Both maternal and paternal impression would have played a huge role in the psyche of the twins. The girl's fear of cars, for example, could be explained as an absorbed fear from the parents. And I would imagine that they heard like, oh, you're, you know, big sisters that died, died yeah. because of cars. So it's like, sure. Yeah. Um, it's easy to imagine that through her pregnancy, Florence mostly had Joanna and Jacqueline on her mind. Mm-hmm. An even bigger factor is their father. John Pollock, a Catholic, was a fervent believer in reincarnation and used to pray for proof. He believed the death of his daughters was a punishment for praying so much to receive indisputable evidence that reincarnation is real. <laughs> Catholic <laughs> guilt. <laughs> it's your fault uh when florence got pregnant he was convinced that this is it and that this was it and he told her that joanna and jacqueline will both reincarnate even though they were told by their doctor that florence was only carrying one child florence did give birth to twin girls did they internalize their father's desperate need to believe reincarnation is real and what split into two humans yeah I don't, that's how this pregnancy yeah, biologically that sounds correct yeah that's flawed i i would say <laughs> Um, so Jillian and Jennifer's past life memories stopped at the after the age of seven. As adults, they seem to accept that they were Joanna and Jacqueline reincarnated, even though okay. they couldn't remember any of the stories and coincidences from the early years and showed a mild skepticism towards the notion of reincarnation. So um, then something happened in 1981. Jillian Uh-oh. had visions in which she saw herself playing in a sandpit in Wickham a town the family lived in when Joanna was around three years old. Why is everything so witchy? It's very witchy. (laughs) Very witchy. Very witchy. Jillian described perfectly the lawn, the house, and the gardens. She had Hmm. never set foot in Wickham. Uh The end. So it's either, I mean, it's a toss-up between reincarnation or just a psychological nightmare of a situation yeah and you know they're not mutually exclusive (laughs) reincarnated people can be fucked up also yeah it very well could be both yeah um so campers spooky story of the pollock sisters you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) um really creepy pictures i'm gonna look them up there's creep like anytime no offense to any twins, but if you're wearing matching dresses and matching everything and holding hands, staring at the camera, I'm obviously I'm going to think of The Shining and it's creepy. Obviously. Yeah. So blame Stephen King for that one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, bye. you know, campers, <laughs> thank you so, so much um, for joining us and we will see you next time. Well, goodbye. Goodbye.